0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes.
1: There's a growing population. We're going to need to figure out how to produce food in a sustainable way to feed all those people. Um, And it's not just agriculture, it's food access it's health, it's nutrition, it's all of those things. In 2010, nearly
2: 15 percent of American households, or 48.8 million people, at some point didn't know where they'd get their next meal. It's called food insecurity, and it's on the rise. At the same time, the United Nations predicts that our global population will hit 9 billion people by the year 2050. And while it will be a challenge to grow enough nutritious food, it could also be a challenge to find and educate enough farmers to meet the demand, as an overwhelming number of them are close to retirement. To top it off, agriculture has a considerable environmental footprint, pressing researchers to find ways to reduce the effects of farming while increasing the amount of food produced.
3: The challenges and the opportunities that we have around sustainable agriculture going into this current century are about how do we provide food, but how do we do it in a way that is good for the environment and good for people not only now, but, but you know forever into the future.
2: Sustainability, that's what it comes down to the ability to produce more food more efficiently while also caring for the land. It's such a pressing issue that in 2011, UC Davis added a new major called Sustainable Agriculture and Food Systems, focused on teaching the social, economic, and environmental impacts of agriculture. A few years earlier, in 2007, the university launched the Agricultural Sustainability Institute, which includes a 20-acre student farm and a long-term research facility called Russell Ranch.
4: The idea is to be a hub for all of our activities in research, education, and outreach about agriculture and sustainability. And the mission is really to ensure the vitality of agriculture today and for future generations to come
3: in California. All organic, market garden, ecological garden, my house.
2: Mark Van Horn is the director of the Student Farm which includes the market garden as well as an ecological garden and a children's garden, where an estimated 50,000 youngsters have learned about agriculture over the years. Go ahead and pinch this stem and then pull with the other hand.
3: Children that get involved in growing healthy food are more interested in eating healthy food. If they grow things in the garden, they want to eat them, they want to share them with their families.
2: Van Horn says getting younger people interested in agriculture will lead to increased awareness of the challenges farmers are facing and the importance of knowing where your food comes from. Many agree that society is more removed from their food sources than ever before, but also more interested in how and where it's grown. And they always sell out. Everybody loves our strawberries. That has resulted in the field to fork movement and the focus on sustainability. At UC Davis, it has meant growing interest in agriculture from students like Kaylee Winston Corrin, who moved here from Los Angeles.
1: I feel like people from where I'm from don't farm or really think about where their food comes from. It's kind of humbling, like working here and seeing the effort that gets put into making our food. Should I just rinse that off?
5: Yes. Yeah, give it a little squirt with the hose.
1: Students here help live
2: the field-to-fork concept by planting, growing, harvesting, and delivering produce that is then served on campus, sold at the farmers' market, and distributed to faculty and staff through community-supported agriculture boxes. Are these bags ready to go? I think so.
3: Very briefly, in 12 words or less, describe what your system is.
2: But creating the next generation of ag experts who can tackle the many issues involved in farming today How should we
1: kind of approach this?
2: is a complex matter, one that's overshadowed by a growing population and shrinking number of farms and farmers. I'm actually moving to D.C. I'm hoping to do food policy or food access work for a little bit. Genevieve Lapari is one of the first students to graduate from the new Sustainable Agriculture and Food Systems major and is planning a career in agriculture just not the type you typically would think of. From agribusiness to finance to politics, the food system touches many parts of our lives and our economy and requires many different skill sets. An estimated
1: 200 careers today involve agriculture. I think that if you really want to make change, especially in the food system and in a lot of aspects in our world, that you really do need an interdisciplinary sort of approach. It's a system of problems, so you need a systems approach to solving them. One approach can be found here at UC Davis's Russell
2: Ranch. It's a unique 300-acre long-term research facility that's dedicated to comparing different farming practices and discovering which methods are most sustainable.
1: We're comparing organic, which um, has inputs of manure and cover crop as sources of fertility and doesn't use synthetic um, Pesticides. We have conventional, which uses synthetic fertilizer inputs, and does use pesticides. And then we also have a a system that's in between. We call it a mixed system.
3: So you're a little short, compaction though. Three centimeters you don't ever worry about.
2: They're measuring things like yield and profitability, soil property, greenhouse gas emissions, water, and use of fertilizers and pesticides. All have faced some level of controversy and will require extensive research to find answers. At Russell Ranch, that research will span 100 years. It's called the Century Project, and it's currently in year 18. Is this the fertilizer in here?
6: It's in here. It's liquid fertilizer, and um, this little pump pumps it into the line. And this line, that's where the water is flowing to irrigate the tomatoes.
2: Drip irrigation allows less water to be used, creates no runoff, and the fertilizer goes directly to the plant. Considering water quality and quantity is a growing concern, a lot of his focus is on farming methods that will use it more efficiently, with less harm to the environment.
6: Our main finding was uh, that we have less uh, greenhouse gas emissions on the trip with drip irrigation.
2: These findings are still in their infancy, but will hopefully lead to farming practices that both increase yield, enough to feed 9 billion people, and protect our planet planting hedgerows and wildflower strips in these areas. Kate Scow knows better than most the challenges in feeding a growing population. She's done extensive work with farmers in Uganda who face extreme food shortages and poor farming conditions. She acknowledges the need for a variety of experts to work together to truly improve sustainability.
1: There's a a strong international focus at, at Davis and people have been working for, for many years throughout the world.
4: Nobody can be the, the single-handed Lone Ranger sustainability expert. It's all about being able to work with other people in teams to
0: create solutions.
2: It's a belief that's shared by students as well as faculty.
0: A lot of the papers that I find when I do my research come out of UC Davis.
2: Graduate student Graham Savio is majoring in International Agricultural Development and sees the potential for fixing the food system in the ability to share knowledge both at UC Davis and abroad.
0: I'm heading to East Africa, so I'm going to work with farmers there and work with identifying farmers who are already being really successful.
2: Even those farmers who have found success are also likely to find increasing sustainability challenges in the years ahead, challenges that include water supply, pest control, climate change and energy. They're issues that have the potential to dramatically change our environment and our ability to feed 9 billion people.
4: If we're talking about increasing food production by another 70 or 100 percent over the next two generations. I don't think business as usual is going to get us to where we need to be.
2: Water. It's one of the biggest concerns for farmers today. Across California's vast, lush agricultural communities, you can't go a couple of days or even a couple of miles without hearing one concern or another about the state's water supply.
0: basically the old technology that's still very common.
2: Bruce Rominger is a lifelong farmer and graduate of the University of California, Davis. He still relies heavily on research and information that comes out of the university.
0: The stuff they're doing now in soil science is fascinating and it's important for what the consequences of the way we farm are for the climate change.
2: He understands the Golden State's dire situation when it comes to water and the lack of it and the importance of farming sustainably for our environment and for the future of his business. You
0: know, that's a challenge for, for me and the rest of my career and for my kids, to how to how to grow these crops and still produce a huge amount of food out here, but not deplete any of our natural resources, whether it's our, our soil or our water.
2: Rominger farms alongside his brother and father on property that's been in their family since the 1800s. He says while they're constantly working to improve their farming operation, changes don't happen overnight.
0: So it's a very complex ecological system we have running out here and so we can't just flip a switch and make it sustainable, but we have to keep working in that direction. Okay, gracias.
2: Okay. And while Bruce Rominger works his family's land just outside of Davis, a team of researchers from the UC Davis Department of Land, Air and Water Resources are working to find solutions farther south in California's Central Valley. It's considered the epicenter of agriculture for the Golden State and the nation.
7: So the San Joaquin River is the second largest river in California, and as far as water quality impairments go, it's probably one of the more impaired water bodies in California.
2: The San Joaquin River runs right through the heart of the Central Valley and is a source of irrigation water for countless acres of crops. It's also a landing pad for pollutants like nitrogen, phosphorus and pesticides that come from both agricultural and municipal sources.
4: This is a flood irrigation system. You can see the furrows uh, where water runs in between the the rows. Uh, That excess water will then uh, enter a canal running across the field and then re-enter the irrigation systems so, so this is a, a diversion from
2: the- toby Ogene the is a soil scientist at uc davis for the past six years he's worked with farmers in san joaquin, in san joaquin county on an innovative plan that can now be seen up and down this river the solution was to create wetlands between the farm fields and the river the wetlands act as a filter system, removing an estimated 50 to 90 percent of the contaminants before they return to the river.
4: These s- relatively small tracts of land um, are providing a very large service and-, and filtering vast acreages of land, so it doesn't affect their bottom line much because this was marginal land in the, in the first place.
2: It's estimated that 90 percent of the natural wetlands in this region were removed at one point to make way for farming. Now scientists and farmers are seeing the benefits of restoring them. UC Davis scientist Randy Dahlgren says nitrate levels in this body of water consistently increased for decades until the 1990s and are now holding steady.
7: We've been actively involved with monitoring here to understand what processes are working within the stream. So that's the the percentage of saturation of oxygen.
2: Dahlgren has been testing and tracking water quality issues on this river for years, most recently working with the U.S. Geological Survey on a joint project looking at one of the main contaminants, nitrate. The
7: question that was being asked is how much of the nitrogen, the nitrate in particular, in the uh, San Joaquin River just behind us here is coming from groundwater
4: sources.
2: The scientists use a meter with water quality sensors attached to it.
4: And how, what's the electrical conductivity in salt Nitricle here? Electrical conductivity is 2.8 decisiemens per meter.
2: The sensors allow them to look at a variety of things from temperature to salts to how much oxygen is in the water.
7: There's very little nitrate making it to the river because we have this natural protection mechanism here of the riparian zone where the soils have no oxygen which leads to the loss of nitrate
4: to the atmosphere. This system
2: And thanks uh, to research like this, scientists are gaining a water better water understanding of how many aspects of farming affect our environment. which Bruce Rominger says helps him to better protect the land that he loves to farm on.
0: We never recognized ten years ago that we had to worry about what happens to our fertilizer as it volatilizes and goes up into the atmosphere. But that's an issue that we all have to deal with and Davis is out here with their instruments testing that and telling us when you irrigate this way, when you fertilize this way, this is what happens.
2: Today the Romingers are in the process of switching from furrow irrigation like you see here to an underground drip system that requires less water and means a bigger yield. It's a costly and lengthy process, but Bruce Rominger says the investment is worth it to ensure this soil will remain rich and productive for decades to come. It's not only soil and water that are heavily studied on the UC Davis campus but also the effects of agriculture on the air we breathe. That's the focus of another researcher who's created a unique facility to study air quality.
6: What you see here are the so-called bovine bubbles and we built those a couple of years ago. Uh, right now of, obviously there are cattle inside.
2: Frank Mitlerner designed the bubbles as a way to measure the amount of greenhouse gases that cows produce and study how to reduce it. Today they're moving 14 cows into each bubble where they'll live for three months while Mitlerner and a team of students make adjustments to what they eat including trying out a feed additive that could make a difference in the amount of gas they release.
6: Here we know what the incoming air looks like with respect to these compounds, what the outgoing air looks like and how fast the air exchange is. So we can calculate very precisely what the contribution is of an individual animal or its waste or the feed or other items um, on air pollutants that we measure.
2: When it comes to air pollutants, Mitlerner says the front end of the cow's feeding cycle is the largest contributor to certain gases, both what cows eat, a fermented feed called silage, as well as what they emit by belching. The process of digestion creates methane gas that cows burp up to release. Which is how cows have earned themselves such a bad reputation. Methane is a greenhouse gas that leads to global warming. And that's where Mittlerner's research comes in.
6: What I would really like to strive for is to put some science-based information into the public arena and uh, and take some of the, the myth out.
2: Which he has already done. Mitlerner challenged a 2006 United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization report that said livestock exceeds transportation in greenhouse gas emissions. The UN report quantified global livestock emissions as being 18 percent, but Mittlerner's research found that in the US, livestock actually contributes only 3.4 percent. It was a discovery that brought him international attention.
6: I'm an internal, uh, eternal optimist, but um... These challenges that we are facing are indeed substantial.
2: Today, Mittlerner serves as chair of a global partnership project to assess the environmental impacts of livestock production. It is a UN appointment. He says that in order to feed our growing population, we need to find new ways to create more food with less of an environmental impact.
6: There's no other country in the world that uses fewer animals to produce a given amount of food than what we do here.
2: The average cow in California produces 20,000 pounds of milk. In Mexico, a cow produces 4,000 pounds of milk. And in India, one cow equals only 500 pounds of milk.
6: From now on, every 11 years, we add another billion people to the world population. Within my lifetime, the human population has doubled. And here comes the big problem. The land that we use to feed all the people in the world. The arable land that can be used for crop or animal production is a set amount and cannot be increased. We
0: have to continually improve what we're doing because obviously what everybody's doing on this planet is not sustainable, so.
2: It all comes back to sustainability, farming this land intensively, profitably, and carefully. These are enormous challenges that our next generation of farmers will face but they'll do so armed with answers that researchers are seeking right now.
1: Less land, less water, um, higher prices for all your inputs. Um, You're going to have more regulation um, and that's a constant battle for farmers.
4: Finding that balance is really hard um, and, and, and I don't know if we know it yet, but we're we're getting, making progress. I believe with the, the education and the
7: science that's ongoing, we will be able to come up with practices that will be environmentally sustainable, while at the same time feeding uh, more people.
6: I think UC Davis is, um, is really a role model with respect to marrying agricultural productivity and environmental impact research.
2: Farming may be one of the oldest, most traditional occupations known to man, but today it's on the cutting edge. Scientists at UC Davis say, and farmers agree, that it has to be if we want to feed a growing population with a shrinking amount of farmland. But as with any change, there is often controversy.
5: So the tofu is sautéing.
2: Welcome to Taco Night at the Adam Check and Ronald household. It's pretty typical of taco nights that happen all across our country all the time. Except, maybe, that their connection with
1: food, as well as where it comes from, may run a little deeper than most. Food has been altered genetically for 10,000 years. A lot of people don't know that everything we eat has been genetically altered in some way. Pamela Ronald is a plant
2: pathologist at the UC Davis Genome Center. Raul Adamchek is the manager of the Market Garden at the UC Davis Student Farm. This couple represents two very different systems of food production. He farms organically. She genetically modifies plant seeds for use in conventional farming. They're two worlds that are traditionally at odds.
5: There is a national law, the National Organic Standards, that came about uh, in the year 2000, was developed by the USDA. And in that law, genetic engineering is not allowed to be used in organic agriculture.
2: Raoul and Pam both believe that the National Organic Standards have influenced what many people think about the genetic it? engineering of food. It's
5: very good sweet corn mm-hmm. too.
2: When in reality they often don't
1: understand what exactly genetic engineering is or what it does. People have associations with plant genetics as some kind of foreign technology. And um, there's concern, they've heard that companies make seeds, corporations breed different varieties, and they're probably not aware that virtually all farmers in the United States do buy seeds, including organic farmers. So here's a quick lesson. In plant breeding,
2: genes are transferred between the same species to create a desired characteristic. So a disease-resistant peach, for example, might be crossed with a high-yielding but susceptible peach, with the goal of creating a peach that's both high-yielding and disease-resistant. In genetic engineering, genes can be transferred between different species. A life-saving example is golden rice, soon to be released on the market. The new rice contains beta-carotene, derived from daffodils, and is believed to meet a vitamin A deficiency in underdeveloped nations that currently causes 550,000
1: children to go blind each year and half of them to die. People, I think, aren't really clear as to why, what the benefits are of genetically engineered seed and, and why farmers want it. The benefits, Ronald says, are clear.
2: With genetic engineering, scientists are able to create seeds that solve problems. They can fight pests, withstand drought or flooding, be hardier, more abundant, the list goes on and on. Considering the population of our planet is already surpassing the amount of food available, experts say being able to invent crops that meet demand and fight farming challenges will be essential, both for feeding people and protecting our environment.
0: Uh, one of the major uh, products that is on the market is insect-resistant crops, that is cotton, for example, or corn, uh, that produce uh, their own resistance to insects. This has uh, enormously reduced the use of pesticides, Prehydrate them, that is. We
2: Kent just... Bradford is director of the Seed Biotechnology Center on the UC Davis campus. Ironically, it sits not far from the organic market garden and is probably one of very few places on the planet where you'll find such traditionally opposing viewpoints working practically side by side. That's because Bradford, the director, and Ronald, a geneticist, want the same thing that organic farmer Raul Adamchek and this farmer and this farmer and this farmer farmer wants, an abundant safe food supply that doesn't harm the environment in the process.
1: And the goals really are how can we produce uh, enough food to feed the world, the food needs to be safe, it needs to be, um, we need to reduce um, some of the toxic inputs.
0: All of these uh, these advances are, are targeted really toward uh, reducing the footprint of agriculture, reducing the inputs, uh, making agriculture more sustainable as well as more compatible with the environment.
2: Scientists say solutions to many of the biggest food producing challenges already exist. Their biggest obstacle is getting consumers to understand the benefits. Currently testing is much greater for genetically engineered products than it is for other new products, which means a greater expense and a greater length of time to get a potentially life-saving or crop-saving seed onto the market. So the innovation that scientists and students are working on right now may not be able to help us for another decade or longer.
1: So this is the walnut breeding program at UC Davis. And we are creating new varieties of walnuts for the future generations of farmers.
2: Graduate student Krista Fralinger says 90% of walnuts grown in California are ready for harvest at the same time. She's trying to create a tree that fights common walnut pests and diseases and can produce nuts throughout the year. Similar breeding was done long ago on iceberg lettuce, something consumers now take for granted.
0: We plant lettuce in California every day, and to produce that identical head of lettuce throughout the state every day, we need 30 to 60 different varieties every year during the course of the year.
2: Plant geneticists could likely find similar solutions for many common and healthy foods, solutions that would produce more of these foods and would enable farmers to use less water, which is in short supply and fewer chemicals, if any at all.
3: It's hard to imagine that we're going to have more land suddenly come into production. So we're going to have to be much more efficient with what we have.
2: It's not hard to figure out that in order to feed our population and protect our environment, we're going to have to farm smarter using tools that work better. And that's where precision farming comes in.
3: Generally doing things that is much more uh, localized on a spatial basis. So rather than farming a field, you might farm individual plants or you might eventually farm individual leaves or smaller and smaller areas.
2: Here at the Western Center for Agricultural Equipment on the UC Davis campus, tools for improved farming are born.
7: I like to sit there and engineer stuff and design stuff, um, follow through with calculations and then go out and actually build it. I think it gives me an edge on other engineers out there in the field that don't have this practical knowledge.
2: Dasa will someday return to his family farm in Stockton as a fourth generation cherry and walnut farmer. But in the meantime, he hopes to make his mark on the industry by creating equipment that will require fewer chemicals, making farming more economical, efficient and productive.
6: With a very targeted application, you can reduce that volume of water and chemical to still achieve a level of protection on your grapes.
2: Ryan Billing created technology and an improved system for spraying plants as an undergraduate project and finished it while pursuing a master's degree here at UC Davis. He now works on campus as a development engineer.
6: I hope this machine makes it to the market and allows farmers to uh, to, to pass their farms along to their next generation.
2: And that's what it's really about. Continuing the tradition of working the land and feeding our families, it's another aspect of sustainability. It's part of the reason why UC Davis is focused on exploring genetic engineering as well as new ways to farm organically.
5: Why don't you have some salad on your tortillas?
2: It's also why an organic farmer and a genetic engineer sharing values can find common ground as they raise a family while living under the same roof having
5: the same values and having the same goals and just uh, coming from a different point of view to get there.
2: When it comes to how food is grown, there may always be passionate advocates on opposite sides of the road. But at UC Davis, researchers, educators and even students believe that all roads essentially lead to the same place. A place where food is abundant and safe and the environment is thriving a place where sustainability isn't a hope or a goal. It's a way of life.
0: You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.